sleep, motherfucker. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, Doss? You lose half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories, everybody. It's wearethestoryguys at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to uh, get in touch with us. And you know, more than 125 episodes into this show at this point, you would think there'd be a point where we had just like covered all of the basics. Nah, that we haven't. <laughs> Something will happen sometimes, like it did in the past few weeks, where I had multiple people bring up maybe one of the most obvious subjects for this show ever and be okay. surprised when I was like, yeah, you know what? We've, we've never done that. Am I going to be, am I going to be fucking excited? Cause that's what I want. Well, listen, man, we've, we've never talked about you're so vain. <laughs> I mean that the might song? be that yeah that might be the most prime real estate Sorry. for this show ever and we've just ignored right. it for over 100 right. episodes. Right. It's so obvious. It's like spot on dead on like what it is, this show's it's about. It's like the logline. It's literally like if we were going to write a book about this show, the logline would be like for instance, they will discuss things like Carly Simons, you're so vain. And I have the weirdest, hottest take on this song, and we'll get to it later, and you'll know exactly where I'm going, and we don't need to talk about it now. It's not important until we need to get to it. <laughs> I do Just know, I do know, know where Brian. you're going. I do let know me, where you're Brian, going. Brian, let me know when it's like, and now, ladies and gentlemen. When, when I'm ready to hit Murdoch, the play button on that song that you want to play? Yes, we will do that. Yeah, one. absolutely. Okay. I can't wait. Okay. I'm going to lose my mind. Okay, so here's... Here's the thing. If for some reason you are like using this show to learn about rock history, which I actually do think there are some people who are doing that, which is really cool, uh, and you have no idea what we're talking about, let me just give you the primer. Not everybody knows everything about all kinds of stuff. Which is, yeah, that's totally fine. That's why we do this. So don't feel stupid if you don't know what we're talking about. But I do know <laughs> I made that a, sounds so stupid. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of rock and roll fans listening to this show who are going to be like, this is like kindergarten. But we, I actually don't think it right. is. In the research I found, this is way more complicated and there's a lot more to this. So we'll get to it. So in the last few weeks of 1972, the songwriter and singer Carly Simon releases a song that would go on to be the biggest hit of her career in terms of longevity. And that song was called You're So Vain. And it describes a man who is very full of himself. And over the last 50 years, people, and when I say people, I mean critics, fans, rock historians, water cooler jockeys, everybody, have driven themselves crazy trying to figure out who this song is about. It is a song that has clearly generated rumor and innuendo and swept dozens of massively famous people into its orbit, right? This this story comes with a lot of famous yeah. names attached to it. We'll get to this. And this mystery is so epic that it's actually generated money for charity. Did you know this? No, give me this amazing musical magic rainbow of goodness. Okay. I want to hear how this song about this douchebag raised money. Well, because like, what a great idea. Let, let, let's let's start here. Let's get some background on the woman that is Carly Simon. Okay. Uh, first of all, let's wow. start. Let's start with the last name Simon. Do you know who her dad was? Uh, it's not Neil, right? No. You ever read a book and looked at the spine only to see that it was published by Simon and Schuster? Oh gosh. Okay. That's well, her yeah. dad, Richard L. Simon, co-founder of okay. that little venture. Uh, so she comes from the Bronx. Her first musical ventures when she's 20 
in the early 60s. She sings with her sister Lucy. They are called, you guessed it, the Simon Sisters. And then she gets her own solo deal with Elektra in 1970, releases a song called That's the Way I've Always Heard It Should Be, and she will end up getting a Best New Artist Grammy. Now, I want to talk about this for a second, because on the show, in the past, we've touched on this idea of the Best New Artist curse, where folks who win that award typically are not the best choice, and then they sort of peter out and never have much of a career. Right. She, she's the exception to this, I think. I want to read you the list of the other people who are nominated for the Best New Artist Grammy this year that she is nominated. This is the 14th Grammys. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, which isn't yeah. totally wild. They could have won. Bill Withers, who is an amazing Ugh. artist. Great Gosh. influence. Really changes music. But I don't know that it matters to have a Grammy in his case. And then here are the other two artists nominated for Best New Artist this year. Hamilton, Joe, Frank, and Reynolds, which is one band. Do you know who that is? No. Do you? Who, who, what's the song? <laughs> right, that song. <laughs> that song. <laughs> okay. Pull your love out of Like so, you never knew it was about. Oh, oh, that's about <laughs> pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so. <laughs> I didn't even get that far. I would just pretty much we're in the area of that subject. So, so what was the other the so other artist that was nominated? We the, haven't even got the to the other it. one, even lesser known, Chase, and they were named after Bill Chase. He had an eight person jazz rock horn heavy thing. We talk sometimes on the show about how fast things moved in the 70s and 80s in terms of output. And Carly drops her first album in February of 71 and her second album in November of 71. And then in 72, a year after that second record, she drops album number three, which is called No Secrets. And this is the one that changes the game. And that is due in part, of course, to the song we're here to discuss today, Dearly Beloved, You're So Vain. So sweet. Okay. Let, let's pause here for a second. Is You're So Vain... The first diss track. Oh, no way. You no. think it doesn't count as a diss track, or you think there's diss tracks before it? Yes, I think there's diss tracks before. Well, here's the thing, man. Like, how are you going to describe a, a diss track? Like, I think that, Okay, okay, I let's do that. that. I you, think for sure, too. Okay, so you, you hear this the most now in hip-hop, right? Two rappers who have personal differences record songs to address each other and or their feud. Uh, you can just Google top 10 diss tracks, and you're going to get a million articles and YouTube videos of people picking their favorites. Jay-Z, Eminem, Pusha T, whatever. But I did look when looking into this. The see, real Roxanne. Anyway, keep going. Oh, right? So I actually came across that and, and tabled it for a future episode. I was like, should we talk about this at another time? Um, oh, my gosh. You're, you're you're tapping up and down my spine. Like when, That makes me so happy. Oh, okay. dude. Maybe we'll do it. Okay. So, but, yeah. but the idea of recounting and addressing beef with someone in a song, it definitely predates hip-hop, and it definitely to your point, does predate Carly. Uh, yeah, yeah. One thing I saw, I, I just sort of looked like what is popularly assumed to be the first diss track. One thing I saw pushed, put uh, it all the way back to Joe Tex in 1962, mm -hmm. his dust up with James Brown. Do you know about this? No, no. I know who Joe Tex is. Okay, so, so, Joe, so Tex is, Joe Tex is married to a woman who leaves him for James Brown. 
And James Brown loses his appetite for Joe Tex's wife or woman very quickly. And so uh-huh. he then writes Joe Tex a letter and says basically in the letter that Joe was welcome to have his wife back. And so Joe Tex writes a song called You Keeper. <laughs> to, to the Godfather of Soul, what balls? Man, that is some, that is some Zelensky-sized freaking balls on Joe Tex. Say, yeah, James uh, Brown, Keeper. So you, you, wow. You could, you could even say that we discussed a diss track recently on the show because we talked about John Lennon's takedown of the Maharishi in Sexy Sadie, right? That's sort of a diss track. And then, oh yeah, you know Lennon and McCartney do this to each other for a period. They, they wrote, the wrote diss tracks about each <laughs> other. Each yeah. other, yeah, that's a whole thing too. That's probably a whole other episode. But let's let's start talking about your so vain. It didn't start as a diss. Did you know it actually started as a totally different lyric? It was going to be "Bless You, Ben" was the name of the song. What a terrible idea to be have it called blessed <laughs> so bless bless you ben was the original song title and here was the lyric bless you ben you came in where nobody else left off there i was by myself hiding up in my loft so it was it was a very nice song it sounds like it sounds like it was the opposite of what it turned into at some point around this time though she hears a friend use the phrase like they're somewhere and she says doesn't that guy look like he just walked onto a yacht and so she has a notebook and like any good songwriter, she scribbles that down in her notebook because she likes the image and the way it sounds. And then one afternoon, she's practicing Bless You, Ben, and she lines up the syncopation, and she's like, walking onto a yacht. She's like, oh, I actually like that better, right? Uh, and so she now starts thinking of a particular person and thinks about that phrase and wants to take this whole thing in a totally different direction. And so she starts to hash out this song, and she temporarily titles it Ballad of a vain man. That is what the song is originally titled. I, I think before we get much farther, we should look at the actual lyrics. I know people know them sort of, but let, let's just read them. Uh, historically, there is uh, uh, there are three verses in the song. And in the intro, I mean, she doesn't pull any punches because in the intro, she says, son of a gun. So you know what you're yeah. headed. You know what you're headed for. Yeah. And this is uh, what year is this on the radio? This is 1972. It comes out in November of 72, and it's a hit in 73. You walked into the party like you were walking onto a yacht. Your hat strategically dipped below one eye. Your scarf, it was apricot. You had one eye in the mirror as you watched yourself gavotte. That is a French dance move she put in there because she thought a French dance move sounded pretentious. And all the girls dreamed that they'd be your partner. And then you get to the incredibly well-known chorus. You're so vain. You probably think this song is about you, don't you? Uh, Verse 2. You had me several years ago when I was still quite naive. Well, you said that we made such a pretty pair and that you would never leave, but you gave away the things you loved, and one of them was me. I had some dreams, and they were clouds in my coffee, clouds in my coffee. Wow. I mean, like, God, what a great songwriter. Verse three. Well, I hear you went up to Saratoga, and your horse naturally won. Then you flew your Learjet to Nova Scotia. To see the total eclipse of the sun. Well, you're where you should be all the time. And when you're not, you're with some underworld spy or the wife of a close friend. Wife of a close friend. You're so vain. Now, to make it even more complicated, 40 plus years after this mess in 2016, Carly Simon has this memoir out and she puts the fourth verse in it. 
never recorded, but the fourth verse is, a friend of yours revealed to me that you'd loved me all the time. You kept it secret from your wives. You believed it was no crime. Whew. That's a lot to digest. So. Wow. Yeah. Totally different. We, we have the lyrics laid out. And obviously, Carly has some real things to say about this mystery man. So what we're going to do is just look at what we know and what we've been given over the years. We'll look at the speculation that exists, and we'll see what we can piece together. Basically, this song gets kind of connected in pop culture to anyone who Carly was thought to have had a relationship with in those years. And she had quite a few high-profile relationships. Now, I can't decide in retrospect if there's like an inherent sexism and this fascination with this song, or if it's just the mystery surrounding good songwriting and a good plot. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe it's just something that people find fascinating. I mean, I do think that there's, you know, like Rolling Stones had Angie. People want to know who Angie is. I don't necessarily think it's a sexist deal. It's interesting, though, because there are so many men attached in this story to her. And yeah. there, there, I did come across some quotes where she was like a little self-conscious about how many men she got romantically connected to publicly. Yeah, yeah. Here's a list of the names that you're going to come in contact with when looking into this, right? Mick Jagger, David Bowie, Warren Beatty, James Taylor, David Cassidy, Cat Stevens, Dan Armstrong, David Geffen, and Jack Nicholson. Wow. I, those are like great looking famous guys. <laughs> there is that. I mean, it's not like, you know, we're digging the bottom of the barrel to say that Carly is hanging out with the, the scum. These are sort of top notch dudes. In August 2003, Carly gets contacted to donate something to Martha Vineyard's possible dreams charity auction. I like to think because I've tried to find items for a silent auction before or any kind of auction that. You know, I know how difficult that can be. I, I can see how she was just like, oh, fine. I don't have anything to give to this stupid auction. I'll just tell someone who that song is about. <laughs> so that's really yeah, that's literally what she did. So Dick Ebersol, who was the president of NBC Sports at the time, pays 50K. Oh, my, oh my gosh. Really? 50K. It's Dick Ebersol? Yeah. That's who, that's who figured this out for all of us? Well, so no, the condition of winning is they can't reveal the name but she tells him he can give a clue out to the american people. okay so okay he buys it finds out and the clue the dumbass clue that she allows him to give is that the name includes the letter e which is of no help just run through that list of names i just gave you right most of them include the letter e you mean he didn't say it rhymes with schmarming maybe <laughs> so after this after she does this successfully carly will play with this i will reveal letters bs for a while she eventually like by 2004 has given up a e and r she says those three letters are in the name it, that's so weird in 2009 oh you think that's weird in 2009 she does something more bizarre she re-records the song and then tells an interviewer at WNYC that she's hidden the name of the inspiration uh, for the song inside this new recording. So, you know, we used to work in radio around that time. They just put people on the clock to figure it out. So they're like, go listen to this song over and over, and they're like listening for her whispers. This is bizarre. Uh, yeah. They show back up the next day, and they're like, we think we hear her saying David. Carly says that's not what she was saying. She said she had spoken Ovid, both forwards and backwards, and that sounded like David. February 2010, she will reiterate that the name of the subject was whispered into that re-recording, 
and a representative at some point will say that the name whispered during the song is in fact David. Along the way, while all this is happening, because we're in the 2000s, right? This song comes out in 71, and she's still milking this in in the 2000s. Or 72, I'm sorry. It becomes public knowledge that she tells Howard Stern during this time, because everyone Mm -hmm. tells Howard Stern everything. Right, right. And then at some point, she tells Taylor Swift. They perform together somewhere, and like Taylor Swift gets gets it out of her, which I love, and I also totally find believable. Yeah, right. And why why not? Why wouldn't you tell her? Stern does add a new detail to this, right? So he says, yes, Carly told me, but she also told me something else. She told me that this song is actually about three different people. Three different people? I've never heard this. So finally, as her memoir is nearing publication in 2015, which is just eight years ago, again, the song over 40 years old at this point, Carly goes on a promotional tour. This book that she puts out is awesome. We will use lots of snippets from it as we continue, but... She says, I have confirmed that the second verse is Warren Beatty. Warren thinks the whole thing is about him. (laughs) And then she says in a BBC interview, that doesn't mean that the other two verses aren't about Warren. It just means that the second one is. So according to that memoir, let's talk about her relationship with Warren Beatty. I'm just going to put this plainly. They meet backstage at the Troubadour and he walks up and looks down her shirt. That is how the relationship starts. Quote, he looked down at my breasts, braless and curved bravely in an insinuating shape. And he said, can I see you? She found him, quote, irresistible, quote, a glorious specimen of a man. And I mean, we've all seen Bonnie and Clyde. So, you know, whatever. They started sleeping together and then he would call her. Here's one of the details that she reveals in this book that that he would refer to her thighs as poems which is a move I'm going to try later. So <laughs> uh, here's another quote. I, I'm going to, I'm going to say, man, sometimes you have to fail fast to figure out how to do it. Right. And that's going to, that's going to be what you're going to be doing, man. It's failing fast with that. Whatever, whatever the fuck that means. Sorry. I guess it worked for Warren, but uh, okay. So uh, she's wrong says, century. She at this says point. we made love like in a movie. I mean, this is going to get graphic. So if you got kids around, we just get, just fast forward like 15 seconds, hit the button. Uh, however, there were real sensations for Warren was such a professional. The pressure points he knew about stirred a tremor in me, which meant that I left my head for a while. And all why, of a sudden, why weren't there triggers at the beginning? <laughs> Watch out. Erotic uh, erotic triggers ahead. Okay, so here's where the story gets really good, though, for the rumor and innuendo of it all. So she gets so into having sex with Warren that she starts telling her therapist about it. And her therapist looks at her during one of the sessions and says, okay, this I, I don't know any other way to tell you this, but you are not the first patient of the day who spent the night with Warren Beatty last night. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> with her therapist? <laughs> Oh my God! First of all, I don't feel like the it's, therapist is allowed to say the that. The therapist is not allowed to say that <laughs> at all. But uh, oh man, okay. how how how? Oh wow! I mean, it's like that's amazing. So I mean, he calls her fucking thighs poems. So we know Warren Beatty is part of this whole deal. But if there really are, three- <laughs> when I look at your forearms, there's sonatas. <laughs> I want to put olives in. Oil all over them. None of this makes any sense to me. It's just like 
I mean, he's just hot. Like there's no there's no sense to make. He's just hot. So if if there are three total inspirations, we're missing two. Right? So we got Warren. That's fine. She gave us that, but there's there's two more. This episode is not over. So let's start by marking off the ones we know it's not. I'm gonna refresh the list again and we'll go in order. James Taylor, Mick Jagger, Cat Stevens, Chris Christopherson, Jack Nicholson, David Bowie, David Cassidy, David Geffen, Dan Armstrong. Wow. All right. Carly was married to James Taylor for a while, and she has been very outspoken that this song is not about him. So we can mark him off. Let's talk Mick Jagger. So Mick Jagger is the person most commonly assumed to be the subject of this song. Mm. In fact, when it's come up recently, this is what people allude to. Oh, yeah, the Mick Jagger, Carly Simon thing, right? It's not about Mick. Carly has clearly stated that. 1983 interview, Washington Post, she says it. But why do people think it is? This misperception exists for a really good reason. You know why. Why do people think this is that they're associated? I don't know. I mean, he, it seems like Mick would be obvious for everything. Well, he's hot also, right? But he's singing on it. Oh, that's right. So it's not in the credits, but check it out. One minute, 44 second mark. I've got the isolated vocal track. You can find this in the show notes. Uh, 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 I'm so excited, dude. How did you get so nerded up in here with us? Play the (laughs) isolated track. Yeah, right now. Here we go. Here we go. There were clouds in my coffee, clouds in my coffee, I mean, hey, it's unmistakable. That's Brother Mick right there. It's really, those harmonies are really, truly amazing. It's wild. So here's the story. She's actually recording this song in a studio with another favorite on this show from recent episodes, Harry Nilsson. <laughs> and oh, well, of course. Yeah. Mick, Mick calls the studio and Carly says, Harry and I are recording vocals. Come hang out. So Mick shows up the three of them. And I wish there were photos gather around a microphone in the studio and they start doing the vocal track that for that, for that. So that's Neil, So that's Nielsen Jagger and well, Simon. No, So that's just Jagger and Simon because, and this is a quote from Carly, Harry was such a gentleman, he knew the chemistry was between me and Mick in terms of the singing. So he sort of bowed out saying, the two of you are a real blend and you should do it yourselves. Wow. so a fucking amazing story. Okay. It's not over. So everything else about this relationship between Mick and Carly has never really been confirmed, right? No one has, neither of them have ever said if they ever even consummated a relationship right carly actually has been quoted though as saying quote i wanted to touch his neck and he was looking at my lips the electricity was raw and hardly disguising its power and this is the best quote i've ever read having sex would have actually cooled things off yikes man that is a so thanks uh, now go listen to that isolated vocal track again man so there's a story in her memoir i don't know if you know this that before she marries James Taylor, Bianca, who is married to Mick Jagger at the time, calls James and tells him that Mick and Carly are having an affair. Wow. So, holy crap. That's that very is, well documented that that happened. That is, that is drama, drama. And you know it had to be real. Well, so James says, I trust Carly. I don't think it's happening. I, 
Bianca stirring things up. It, and neither Mick or Carly have ever confirmed that it was or wasn't. But that's wild. And regardless of any of that, the two of them together, when they cut this, you know, and they take Nielsen out of it, the producer actually has Carly recut the vocal track to make sure it matches so they can use mixed take because it sounds so good and they're both so enamored with it. What's really interesting is that the session went so well that they recorded another song. And and I don't know how this happens, but the song gets lost. Literally both performers don't know what happened to it. The producer Uh goes looking for it. And just a few years ago, in 2018, a collector came forward, claimed to have a copy of it, did in fact, gave it to Rolling Stone magazine to give back to Carly. But it's rarely been spoken of since. She's mentioned it in some interviews that it does indeed exist. There is another Mick Jagger Carly Simon song. Oh, why? Why? It's so weird. Like, why sit on anything? And then listen to this. There's more? So they continue, though they'll never admit if they've actually had an affair or even had sex. They will continue to flirt for years. Mick used to send flowers to her hotel room while she was touring, signing the notes under pseudonyms. Quote, he knew I was married, so why didn't I just call him and tell him to stop? Any decent female in a Jane Austen novel would have done that. I suppose that both Mick and I were hanging on to something, and I wasn't sure enough of myself to disengage from him completely. Jane Austen novel. Oh, gosh. Hot damn. So, Your Sylvain is not about Mick Jagger. It's not about James Taylor. Next name on the list, Cat Stevens. This one makes me laugh because I think of Cat Stevens as being, how do I put it, not a sex object? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, he's the moon shadow Islam guy. Moon like, <laughs> shadow. Moon shadow is the first place I went to to go like to where I was not oh. going to get turned on thinking about Cat Stevens was you, moon shadow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my favorite, my favorite Cat Stevens song. Uh, Which one? Father, son. Do you know that song? Yeah, I do. I do. That's not, that's not, I like the one from Henry and Maude, the, if you want to sing out, sing out. Oh, that's good too. Free, yeah. Cat free. Stevens is great. Uh, so in, in that gap between record one and two that we talked about, the whole like eight months of it, Carly gets an offer to open for Cat at the Troubadour in LA. They do a five night stand. And then, wow. Brief wow. romance of some sort starts up. A few months later, they both gig at Carnegie Hall. They're now on her side of the country. And she invites him to her place for dinner. And she makes chicken and cherries and he doesn't show up and she waits and he doesn't show up and she waits. He's not there on time. Quote, I got agitated. She recalled, I closed my eyes in a deliberate attempt to relax and loosen up. And then I took my guitar in my cold hands and determinedly wrote anticipation. Anticipation will become a hit. It will become the title track for that second record. So Cat Stevens did date her and he did inspire a song, but it does not seem like the song he inspired was your so vain. Mm, yes. Okay. So we've here. We, we we okay. Who's left? So not cat. Let's go to Chris Christopherson. Ah, and man, Chris could be in the running, man, for this. For I think sure. he is. I but, think he is. They date for like a hot minute. They meet in L.A. He he writes a song that she records, and in her memoir, she does tell a story about him being an absolute a hole. So apparently, they're on this plane ride together, and she gets freaked out, scared, starts to get sick in the air. Like I don't know if she was actually vomiting, but she's like feeling sick. She puts her head in his lap. And he, Christofferson, wrapped the New York Times around his head like a tent to avoid having anything to do with the possibility or the possibly sick or frightened woman he had on his hands. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, based on this anecdote, it seems like Chris Christofferson could be one of the inspirations. Being embarrassed by your lady in distress is not a good look, buddy. Not a good look at all. 
Let's put him on the maybe list. Let's go to Jack Nicholson. <laughs> just now from from process of elimination, can we just be like, one of them's about Jack. Who's the I mean, next like, person? Dude, totally. So listen, listen, I'm only going to back that, up that, your that assumption. Red, that red carpet thing with him and Jennifer Lawrence, <laughs> I'll watch that sometimes. Just to, You know what that thing? You ever seen that uh, thing or whatever? Oh, it, good God. He's like flirting with Jennifer yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. And it's, oh my gosh. Like so, his- <laughs> dude, they, listen to this. They did date. In the morning after their first night together, Carly wakes up and Jack is on the phone making business calls. And he's talking to other famous people, or he's talking about other famous people, and he's using nicknames only. So this is stuff that Carly has confirmed. He was calling Candace Bergen Bugs, Art Garfunkel, Artie the Garf, which is now what I'm going to call him forever. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Artie the Garf? And Mike Nichols was Mike the Nick. Okay. Now, I don't think Carly has ever said the song definitely isn't about Jack, but she has said that her thing with Jack was a fling and didn't mean a ton and he was nice, blah, 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 blah. But that's a guy who walks into a party like he's walking onto a yacht. Anybody who's right? like, hey, Artie the Garf. <laughs> yeah. Artie I don't the do Garf a good is- Nicholson, but I would love to hear Artie the Garf in a Nicholson impression. Yeah. Uh, okay. So now let's talk about the three Davids, right? So th- there was this whole thing about when we, you know, back mask this stupid re recording, we hear the word David. So, like, I think that's why David Cassidy and David Bowie get thrown into the mix because there's not much out there about them or their relationship with her. The one thing I found was like David, a David Cassidy fan site that was obviously created in like 1998 that did mention that David Cassidy is a big fan of the ponies. And, you know, that's a whole part of one of those verses. It's about going to the horse races. He would have been really young at the time, though. Like he would have been 22 or something like fresh off the Partridge family. So... I don't know if that really fits. And I mean, as for Bowie, basically everyone making music in the 70s has been rumored to have sex with Bowie at some point. (laughs) So I I don't know why we don't just throw Carly in that mix. That seems obvious. Uh, In 2010, there was all this speculation that it was about David Geffen, the the record company boss. But that timeline doesn't really fit. Like he wouldn't have been at the prominence uh, in around her in the early 70s, I don't think. So that leaves... Well, it doesn't leave us another David, but it does leave us a Dan. From from that list I mentioned earlier, there's this guy, Dan Armstrong. Right. Now, he's not as famous as the other guys by name, but he's got a big part in rock history because he was a session guy who designed guitar pickups and effect boxes. If you've ever seen the Armstrong <laughs> effect box, that's this guy. And there is this book that came out in 2008. This lady named Sheila Weller wrote this book. And whenever I, I just read a passing reference to a book written by a random person... I look up that random person to see what else they've written. And Sheila Weller has also written books about Alex Kelly, who was in this high-profile rape case, and OJ and Nicole. So (laughs) I don't know how much we want to, how seriously we want to take this book. But she wrote this book, and it details this early 70s affair that definitely fits the timeline, uh, and it's between Dan and Carly. And... We know Carly is willing to write about Dan because by the time You're So Vain came out, she already had. There's a song on her first record called Dan, My Fling, which is very much about him, and that's like not a secret. So it could be it could be him. Like that's not totally out of the question. Okay. But it's just okay. less exciting. So he he could be one of the verses. Now, that was sort of the end of most of what I read. If you go and look around for this. 
you are basically going to find regurgitated versions of the same story over and over and over where they basically mention that whole laundry list of people that we just ran through. And some of them that are really well-researched will go farther. A lot of them will stop at Warren Beatty, whatever, right? But I started digging, and I found... At first, I was like, this is... like The first place I found it was like clearly not a reputable website. And I was like, why? What is this? And then I started to find... When I started looking up this guy's name, I started finding more and more about him. And I'm not completely sure that this isn't legit. So... Carly was married to this guy named Jim Hart at one point, and Jim Hart said to the press or someone at some in, in some way that the song is actually a, about a person who is not very famous. Like so that that's like in the record somewhere that this guy has said. Right. Actually, everybody thinks it's about all these famous people. It's actually not about a famous person. Now that's just one person's random cast off thing. But when that fourth verse comes out this new name comes into the mix in certain circles. And that name is the name Willie Donaldson. Hey, Willie, welcome to the story, Willie. I'm excited. (laughs) This was a guy I had never heard of. We do know that at some point, Willie Donaldson and Carly Simon had a thing. They had a whirlwind romance in the 60s where in less than six weeks, he was referring to her as the next Mrs. Donaldson. Now, the story goes that he unceremoniously dumps her at some point and then like says I'm I'm actually moving on with this actress and and like it, it's pretty ugly. He's he's a crazy guy. Like do you do you know his name at all? I no, I've never no. heard of him. Like there was a auction for letters that he wrote that were written in the 70s and 80s that were written to people like Margaret Thatcher, Cliff Richard, Mary Whitehouse, Jeffrey Archer, and a young Harriet Harman. Like, wow. So he died in 05. At one point in his life, he lost two fortunes. He He's famous for having lived in a brothel, and he was an early Dylan promoter. Like, he promoted Bob Dylan at some point. Every, everything sounds amazing. Good Lord. Okay. It's like a screenplay of a whole nother movie just happened. Okay, keep going. And, and so... It's- you know, we got three we got three slots to fill. So what I'm asking you now is based on everything I've laid out here, we'll do two versions. We'll do the who do you think the three guys are and who do you wish the three guys were out of the list that we have now in front of us. All right. So I think in reality, I think it's um I don't know the first ones about and then Warren and then Jack. And I think they're just I think it's about those three guys. What I want it to be about is I want it the whole song to be about Cat Stevens. <laughs> That's the right answer. Congratulations, you win. Yeah. I should have said David Crosby, but no, it'd have been more funny. But no, Cat, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised David Crosby's name has not come up in this conversation because you know we we have the David clue uh, and sort of and there were all those other Davids David. on the docket. Uh, why yeah. do we not just throw David Crosby in there? I don't know. Um, yeah, but I I just thought it would be funnier that way. But how about you? So, so what do you think it is? In reality, I think it's Warren, Dan, and this crazy dude that we never heard of. I buy that, yeah. right? It makes a lot of sense to me that the reason she has been elusive about this for so long is that it's not that interesting. And so she's like, okay, cool. I'll give him Warren, and then we'll keep him guessing about the rest of the verses. Yeah. I also think there's probably some composite to all this, right? Like, that's not really about... It's like just about shitty relationships and shitty guys and how guy, how any guy can be shitty. 
Right. It's like if you ever have created something, you know, a lot of times it, it, it doesn't have to be about a singular subject. It, right. it can yeah. start, but it, it, it doesn't have and that's to. what's always been weird to me about this whole conversation is it's like, I mean, most of the time, most of the artists I know, a little bit of songwriting I've done, you've done, you know, it's like it's about a larger theme or an idea. And there might be a line that's about a specific person, but like, you know, and most people will tell you it, it's a conglomeration of things. So to say like this verse is about so-and-so and this verse is about so-and-so feels a little forced. I, I don't necessarily buy that's the case. But. The song's freaking awesome, man. Well, it's, it, it's, if that's the case, if it's just a, if it's just a an amalgamation of all these different relationships, then it, the song's about all of them. And and, and that's that's what kind of life is is telling is this storytelling, you know. Well, and illicit. If, if you're disappointed by that result and you wish that everything was more scandalous, just go read that book. That memoir is just full of stories about a, a ton of them are about dudes who are not mentioned in the song or in relation to the song. So I didn't include them here, but we've got, there's an excerpt in the, from the LA times. that's in the show notes that has a whole bunch of like, here's stuff Carly says about all these different famous men. So go have fun with that. So is it real just steamy? Is that what it is? I mean, she's clearly not afraid to talk about her sexuality, which is great, but I, I, I don't, I think it's just, it's rumored in your window. You know, I mean, that's just what it is. Like, all, all that stuff right. about all these people and, and this sort of bygone era in Hollywood. I mean, people are always interested in that. So, <sighs> that's a wild ride yeah. right there. We got through that oh. way faster than I thought we were going to get through it. That's a lot oh, to it's, digest. That's oh, a great song, man. Okay, I'm now, so glad you brought it up. Now we can say we've done it. And, and now we can also let you talk about what you want to talk about in relation to this song. Oh, holy good God. Okay, listen, everybody. In 1990, Electra <laughs> Records... People think this this episode's wrapping up. We're about to do 40 minutes on Faster Pussycat. <laughs> Hank, no, we're not. Hang on. It's just going to get to Faster Pussycat. Electra Records was an enormous record label that had the... I mean, the Doors, the Eagles, the Cars, like... MC5, Jackson Brown, Phil Oaks, Joni Mitchell, Stooges, like all these people. So in 1990, they put out a compilation record. There's their 40th anniversary. They had other artists doing other artists' songs. So The Cure did Hello, I Love You. Tracy Chapman did The House of the Rising Sun. Like, this is so good. I had a double cassette of this. Cronus Quartet did Marquee Moon. Um and John Zorn did the Stooges TVI, but the best song that's on there and arguably is my favorite version of You're So Vain is freaking Faster Pussycat uh, nails You're So Vain. And it is. Can you give can you give folks a little background on who Faster Pussycat is? I mean, I, that may just not resonate with some people. If you saw Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2, they were in that movie. They were an early 80s band and, and playing at the Whiskey A Go-Go and the Troubadour. And, and in the 80s, they were that kind of low-rent GNR. Like, they just weren't as successful as GNR. <laughs> that is what it and, was. <laughs> right? See, I, I hit it right I on mean, the head. I mean, they're named after a 1965 exploitation a, film a, a about Russ, go-go dancers uh, who go kidnap people. 
Listen, an amazing Russ Meyer movie. Do not <laughs> listen. The Russ Meyer movie is better than the band, really, as far as I'm concerned. But the song, Chef's Kiss. So good. Uh, all right. Well, we can't come back from that. So we just have to end with that song. So like, let's just get the rest of the formalities out of the way. If you have something you want us to look into, if there's something we've completely whiffed on for 120 something episodes like this let us know we'll go dig into it and, and make up for it uh we appreciate hearing from everybody it's we are the story guys at gmail.com the instagram of mm-hmm. course is slash rock and roll bedtime stories and murdoch what should people keep doing until next time keep telling stories and now keep listening to fester pussy cat you, 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 you really <laughs> wish we were on the radio right now don't you <laughs> yeah, more brian and murdoch way we could have ended that episode it just there's no there's no possible way no no (laughs) 